Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Stepping Up. My name is Sue Reed, and every week I provide a platform for people to tell their story of how they have faced and overcome a challenge in their life. Here is today's story. My guest today is Marion. Marion is a retired teacher, not by choice though. Marion taught English for 10 years and then suffered a violent attack by a pupil in her classroom. Now, this was in 2006. After that, understandably, Marion suffered post-traumatic stress disorder, but then was dismissed from her employment on the grounds of medical incapability. Marion still does some supply teaching, but in 2007, she began her healing journey. So Marion is here to talk to us today about the attack, the effects of the attack and the journey and what teaching is like in schools today. So welcome to the show, Marion. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to take part in this. Thank you. So let's start with a the question then. So going back to that, that horrible day, had anything led up to that? Was there any, any sign that you, know, you were going to be abused by this pupil or, or was it a sudden attack? Right, that's an interesting thing because actually it was an attack on another pupil I was preventing and these two pupils had a history. The young man who actually physically carried out the attack had a history of abusing another young man and I had repeatedly asked the school, you know, my head of department and we'd had meetings to to do something, you know, because I felt this was a volatile, it was not a safe environment. We obviously, we have to have a safe environment for all people in the classroom. You know, the best I can say, Sue, is it was largely ignored. There were several things they could have done. They could have moved one or other than to a different group, different forms. There was, you know, a number of things that could have have taken uh, place, but in fact, none of them did. So on the day it actually happened, it was the last period of the day. So, you know, all the pupils were tired and and it was a year 10 group and, you know, I was getting them ready for their GCSEs. So they just about had enough. Being some disconnect between the two pupils that I'd had to deal with inside the classroom. And in fact, the young man who carried out the um, attack, I did put him outside um, the classroom for five minutes as we do, to think about his behaviour, to calm down and to come back in. He decided to come back in, which is good. And so the belief was he thought about his behaviour and he was ready now to re-engage with the lesson. That was it. But that's not how it, it happened. He started, he threw a paper, I think something like that. He threw something at the other young man who retaliated verbally. And literally before I knew what was happening, there was a full um assault taking place right now the young man obviously in, <clears throat> excuse me there's so many things that you, you 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 try and think what am I supposed to do in this situation that all goes out the window because what you see is one person being attacked by another mm. so the, the sort of the rules of you can only use a certain um type of, you know movement to to separate them that goes out the window and it would be the same if I saw somebody being attacked in the street mm. so Obviously, I sent somebody to get help. All the children, some children were, I have to say, egging, you know, the fight, 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 Mm. as they do. Others were stunned, you know, didn't quite know what to do. Mm. I think they wanted to help, obviously had no idea what to do in this situation. And the young man who was carrying out the attack had got the other young man on the floor and he was about to kick him. And I thought, I have to do something. Mm. If he starts kicking this young man, it is game over. So I stepped in between them. It was as simple as that. The young man was on the floor. 
I stepped in between them physically and put myself as a physical barrier. The young man then, the the, uh, assailant, literally caught hold of my arm, threw me around, you know, because he he was in a heightened state of anger and aggression. He threw me around. I fell across the desk and then he was just punching me uh, in the face. So he completely lost control. Absolutely, totally lost control. Now, I'm not saying this young man is a violent young man, was a violent young man, but in certain circumstance, yes, he was. So that that was that. Then people obviously came in. Obviously, you know, the head and various different people came in. We separated them. I was taken into um, a room and the two boys were taken into two other rooms to talk about what happened. That was <laughs> That was as much as I can say about the support I got from the school. It started and stopped there. Right. So the head of the department came in and said, are you okay? Do you need a cup of tea? And in all honesty, so at that point, I wasn't aware of the effects it was going to have on me or had had on without me knowing because I was an automatic pilot, a teacher trying to protect a pupil, a human being trying to defend you another were pupil. acting on instinct. And now it was instinct. all over. You were probably in shock. Yeah, absolutely. So... I didn't have my cup of tea. I wrote a statement as to what had happened. That statement was taken away and it was brought back to me. I I, I won't say what the position was of that person in the school, but it was brought back to me by somebody who, let's say, should have behaved in a different way. And I was asked to change the events. Right. I was actually asked to write it down, giving the, the, the bones of it, but not actually in exactly the same way as it happened because what what had gone on was a racist attack. It was as simple as that. Right. Um, now, it was not a white pupil with a non-white pupil. It was a mixed race, Afro-Caribbean, and the young man who was being attacked was a young Somalian gentleman. Right. And there, being, there was issues. There was issues in, in the school. We had a very small percentage of Somalian children and there were issues when they came in. So when I was asked to put down different things, I, I said, no, I, you know, I can't do this because it would be lying. So that was... So were you being asked to like write it up as though it wasn't a racist attack? It was just two boys that where things got out of hand? Was that the case? That was exactly the case. And I wasn't going to do that. I'm, I'm not one to label call names or anything like that but I am a firm believer in when something has happened you have to have the truth other people see truth differently that was my truth in the situation and it would have been borne out by my previous comments about there was a a potential danger going on and the reason for that danger within the classroom I, I went home had a cup of tea did my usual things and then the face started to bruise Mm. and the arm started to bruise the hip was hurting so I actually went to the hospital because Mm. I had to have a scan then because there was injury to the face so did the did the school not suggest you went to the hospital no no because I would have thought that would have been standard practice if someone's just been attacked to go and get them checked out yeah no that didn't happen Uh, what happened then was I I went um to the hospital um it was superficial uh, bruising they did the cat scan and and thankfully you know there was no obvious problem there so I went back home and I went to school the following day I actually went into school back into school the following day and I don't know then if I was still on autopilot or what but I went in took my lessons so that it would have been the Wednesday the attack took place so I went in on the Thursday 
And were the two um, boys in the classroom then? No, the two boys weren't in the classroom. Okay. They, they were they were excluded, and they were excluded for three days. Right. And and then there was a further attempt after they'd been excluded for three days. The school came back to me and said, "Would you reconsider? You know, looking at this again because we have excluded the two pupils, and mm. it will not look good moving forward for da 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 da." da. And I, I just refused again. I said, "No, I, I really can't do this." So who were they saying it wouldn't look good for then? The school? The school, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Got to keep their reputation, haven't you, whatever happens. Absolutely, <laughs> that was that. So I, I refused to do that. I went through my lessons, went home, and the Friday morning I got in my car and drove to the school, and just before I got to school there was a big island, and I found myself driving back round. And I drove into a car park, and I sat and sobbed. Mm. And that was the last time I set foot in that school. Yeah. So um, that's I'm when it, it kind of hit you then. Hit yeah. Me. Yeah. So then I, I went to my doctor and told him about the situation. Obviously, I told him that I'd been to the hospital. Um, those notes were sent on later. And we sat and talked about it. And he said, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Now, I didn't think that, you know, something, I'm, I'm not going to say something as simple as a, a, an assault because it wasn't, but... You know, you think schools are safe places. And I thought, how can I be suffering from post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder? That's people who've been in horrific wars and soldiers, but it's actually not. No, um, it, it can affect system. anybody. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was the last time I went into the school. I did bring charges against the pupil because I I, I was advised to. And in any event, I'm, I'm my own counsellor. And I thought, no, I, I do want to take this further, you know, because, you know, there was blood and... So in between, the school was speaking to me via unions, indicating it would be better for him and his future if he didn't have to go to course. I was actually accused, um, oddly enough, I was accused of being racially biased against this young man. Right. So I had all that to deal with. And And now it's all your fault. That is it. That's what I was coming to know. Everything that happened is my fault. Mm. I was in charge of that classroom I was unable, incapable, whatever words they wanted to put onto it. At that moment, I couldn't, I could not control the classroom. Mm. I would defy anybody to be able to control a classroom where you've got two big lads literally fighting each other. But in in any event, so that didn't work. I, I stuck to my same statement continually and it took about 12 months for it to they decided well because obviously I called the police I I I asked the school to call the police and they said no you know there was no need to do that but the hospital advised me to call the police my doctor advised me to call the police and my common sense in the finish not out of any need for revenge but a need for this young man needs to be stopped because it could be a lot worse for him and for somebody else in the future. I mean it seems to me that he needed help. I mean, he's a young man. He, that anger came from somewhere. Now, whether it's that to do, you know, to do with his upbringing, because nobody's born racist, nobody's born with anger issues. Something happens to them. So it seems to me that by highlighting it, it would have brought potentially the help he needed. And you know, the very least the school could have done, surely, was to separate them into different classrooms so they didn't have so much day-to-day contact but it seems to me like they just wanted to brush it all under the carpet and yes you know make your statement but keep it nice and soft so nobody gets into trouble and then we can just carry on as normal 
Absolutely. That is essentially what the school felt and what they thought I would do. I wasn't like that. I didn't I didn't feel that that was the right thing to do mm. because clearly the young man did have anger management. I'll, I'll sort of get to the end of that little incident and then go back to in the finish. He did get some help because he was then, the day it went to court, all it would have taken was for him to say he did it and it wouldn't have escalated any further, but he refused. Right. He refused all the way that, you know, his parents, it was my fault because I was racially biased and that wasn't the case at all because I was not the same colour of even of the two boys. No. Um, you know, so on the day we went to court, we sat in, in a room and the two senior management from the school sat in the same room as me they didn't speak to me they didn't acknowledge me there was so I didn't I had never worked in their school I'd Mm. never existed so you know that would sort of tell you really what it's like in a school environment when something happens that they don't wish to deal with or it's a bit too hot to handle so I was then I was left uh, alone I, I, I waited and then somebody from the court came in and took me into the court. Court officer took me and we sat down the court and the, the, the you know, the, the judge was there because he was charged with grievous bodily harm. And what had happened was whilst I was sitting waiting, he had actually gone in front of the judge and said, yes, I did it. Right. You know, I did it. So in fairness to the young man, he actually, at, at, at that point, and I will give him credit for, at that point, he actually said, yes, I did. I did this. Now, what brought about that um, response? I don't know. And I, I really don't care because as a result of that, he didn't have a record. So moving forward, he's, you know, he hasn't got anything negative, uh, didn't have anything negative on his record. Um, and he was getting the help he needed because the court said he must have, um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what, I will say youth worker, but it's yeah. slightly more official yeah. working with him okay. and with his family and that he would anger management so classes. that's a good outcome at the end. That was a good outcome for him, yeah. That yeah. was a good outcome for him. But for you, you actually, in, in essence, lost your job. Lost everything. Lost absolutely everything. And in losing my job, it, it, it wasn't just losing the job there and then. It was losing all of the pension rights. You know, it, it had a massive, massive financial impact. Mm. Um, because, you know, whereas now I would have retired with a very healthy pension mm. and a part... That is now not the case. So it was more than it was more than just losing my job for a couple of years. It, it, it you know that the, the financial aspect has gone right through until where I am now. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So yeah. So got to ask you then, if if looking back, that how you were you could go back there now, knowing what you now know, would you have intervened? Absolutely. Yes. Of course, yeah, it's absolutely. human nature, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would have intervened. I probably would have been a little bit more bolshy is the word I'm going to use because that's sometimes how I get with the school. But, you know, when you're suffering from uh, a traumatic disorder, you you know, the, the, the essence of you doesn't exist for a while. And that's the best metaphor I can sort of say. Yeah, um, no, my, I get that. You know, yeah. my essence was gone somewhere, you know, so. But yeah. yes, yeah, you I, get I broken, don't you? You get yeah, broken, yeah. you've got to fix yourself. Yeah. Okay, so did and did you have counselling? I did have counselling, not initially. It was my doctor. There was nothing from the school, and uh, strange enough, from that day to this, I had nothing from the school. There wasn't even a get well card. There wasn't a phone call or anything. Really? And it was my doctor when it, it became obvious that 
I was really becoming more and more withdrawn into myself. Mm. He suggested that I had counselling, which I did, you know, because I thought, right, anything, anything to get me out of, I can remember saying, and I'm not sure whether it's to the doctor, in fact, or to the counsellor, my world is black. I don't see colour. Mm. Um, and I like to see colour. I'm, yeah. I'm a very sort of girly girl. I love the pinks and the, you know, the lemons yeah. and the bright colours. I love it. And I couldn't see any colour. So then I knew I'd really, really sunk when I I said, my life is dark. Mm. You know, my life has become lacking in colour, lacking in movement, lacking in light, lacking in energy. That is depression, isn't it? It's when that dark cloud is over you and you can't get out of it. Yeah. Yes. So I went and I had the the counselling. She was a delightful lady. And I think probably after maybe the sixth or the seventh session, I thought I need something a little bit more. I didn't know what it was, and I, I'm not in any way negating the help she gave me, but I felt as though I had to relive that every time I went and spoke mm. to her. Right. And yeah. I suppose I suppose I can understand why she might be doing that because there might be a different, slightly different response, you know, each time. But I didn't want to keep reliving this. No. I wanted to leave it Move behind. Forward, that was part yeah. of the dark cloud and I wanted yeah. to move um, forward I'd never really heard of sort of self-help because I'd never had a need for it if that makes sense and it, yeah. it's not arrogant but I'm a very confident person I sort of take care of myself in, in in every which way but it was something have I got time to tell you a sort of a little bite you carry on yeah you do what you like there was a young man I had tutored for A-levels privately actually I didn't charge him because he was a friend he was the partner of my daughter's best friend, lovely man, lovely, lovely lad, Tyrone. So I tutored him through his A-levels. So I knew him from when he was sort of 17, 18. And he got through his A-levels and they got married and it was lovely. And at 23, I think it was, very young, he went into hospital for a routine operation and didn't come out. Oh, no. So at 23, you know, he was gone. and. Obviously, there was my thoughts about him, but then there was this very young widow who I'd known since she was four and a half years of age. So after all the, you know, the funeral and the ceremonies and, and things sort of start to settle down, I ran into her about 12 months after the funeral. And I said, look, I says, can I ask you something? And I said, please feel free if you don't want to answer. I said, but how did you deal with this? Because I was still in my dark place. Yeah. And thought, yeah. oh, my goodness. You know, why am I thinking I'm in a terrible place when this young Mm. girl has just lost her husband? So I wanted to know how she dealt with this. And she actually said, she never refers to him as being dead. It was when he's moved across or left the earth. When when Ty left the earth, she said, I I didn't know what to do. I I was broken. You know, he had all the sympathy. She said, I used to talk to him every night. I used to talk Mm. to him. Ty, help me, help me, help me. And she said... In my mind, and this is what came into my mind, was some books called Conversations with God. Right. I think it's, is it Neil Donald Walsh? Not too sure. It is sure. Neil Donald Walsh, Neil Donald yes. Walsh? Yeah. yeah, really, yes. really good books. So she said, Ty said to me, get these and it'll help you to understand. And wow. that was the key word. Yeah. It'll help you to understand. So literally, you know, I had a secondhand message from a spirit. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a believer. I really really, so I thought okay so we had had a conversation about this and I went and bought the trilogy 
And I sat and read them and I still go back to these books. And I've got several people, the trilogy for birthday and Christmas presents. And really, it was through Healer, through Ty's sad passing and Neil Donald Walsh that I found there's a way to move on. There's a way for your spirit, your body, your mind to reheal, reboot and relive. Yeah. That's actually a good title for a book, isn't it? I might use that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so so with, with that, I, I read all of those and I took from them what I needed. And, you know, that they say that when you're looking for something, the teacher will appear or the teachers. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was seeing things like Louise Hay and yeah. Hay House. And it seemed to be everywhere. Yeah. And According to the universe, it answers. You just have to watch out does. for the signs. Yeah. Signs, yes. So I thought, right, okay. She'd written a book, You Can Heal Your Life. Mm. Now, I didn't feel as though there was anything wrong with my life, if that makes sense. There was just this aspect that yeah. was preventing me from having my life. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'm going to get that. So I read that and I thought, yes. And I started to do some of the exercises. I can't say I I rigidly do all the exercises because I have, (laughs) I don't know how's the best way to put it. When I read something, I don't read something from start to finish. I'll put it up, but I'll pick up something that is relative to that. So I I can have four or five books with similar themes running at the same time. It's like a little bit of a recipe, if you like. So that's how I get through things. And from there, I actually became to realise, I think the single biggest thing I took from um, Neil Donald Walsh and Louise um, Hay was the power is with you. Power was with me. I couldn't couldn't expect anybody else to fix my life when actually they can fix symptoms, but they can't fix the life. And there's only so much you can do with another person. It has to come from your willingness to be vulnerable to open yourself, yeah. to cry, to laugh, to say, yeah, you know, it wasn't everybody else's fault. It wasn't my fault either. This is the, one of the strange things I found when something like that happens. You actually say to yourself, well, what did I do? Yeah. And I was very much like that. But then I realized, no, that's, it, it wasn't anything to do with me. It was a set of circumstances that escalated. So I started to take control of how I, you know, how I... I sort of developed my own healing and it, it's just gone on and on. I think every self-help book that has possibly come out, I've at least looked at and read blurbs yeah. about and, you know, Marianne Williamson. I, I, I read, I have a, a lovely book. Oh, can I tell you another little side? You can tell us later? whatever you like. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I do, I'm from an Irish Catholic family and, you know, I, I don't go to mass every um, Sunday because I don't think I need to stand and look at somebody who's all dressed up and things to get what I need. Yeah. But I do talk to God, you know, right. every, every single day. Every okay. single day I have conversations like um, hence conversations with God. Yeah. And I did say to him just, it was just last week, I think it was, I said, now look, I said, I feel as though I'm praying by rope, you know, and it's not giving me what I need because mm. I'm sort of praying the prayers that I was taught in school. And I know they were sincere. I thought, no, they're, they're, mm. they're, they're not just words. Yeah. Yeah, it's words. So I said, can you please help me to, to learn how to, to pray in, in a way that's meaningful um, to me? So anyway, I'm a great fan of charity shops. I give to charity shops. I buy from charity yeah. shops. Love them. And I love old books as well. So I, I yeah. went in. I was looking at all the books. are all lined up in a row. But there was one book lying down. It got pound marked on it. And it's got hearing from God every day. 
<laughs> and it was it's by a lady, some American lady I've never heard of her, called Joyce Meyer, and she runs ministries and things like that. But what it is is 365 affirmations each day with you know spiritual, biblical, or proverbs or the psalm. And there it was for one pound. So I said yeah. my thank you, and that's what I'm doing um, sort of now. Okay. Um, but I did also, throughout all of this, when my life started to show a bit of colour, I studied holistic therapy. So I studied colour therapy, right, um, yeah. crystal therapy, angel therapy. haven't really done anything too much with them yet, but they've been good for me. So I, I sort of retrained hypnotherapy. I'm a qualified hypnotherapist, past life regression therapist. And the reason that came about was uh, I have a ridiculous and totally irrational fear of water. Okay. Can't understand it. Can't understand it at all. Um, getting better now, but really. So I thought, okay, maybe something has happened in a previous life because I'm very into our pre-existence and our post-existence. So I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll find a past life regression therapist and maybe see if I can go back to whatever it was. I'm convinced I was burned at the stake and dumped in. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can say that perhaps yes. you're a witch. <laughs> yes. I think there's several people who know me would agree with that. But in, in sort of any event, I started looking for a past life regression therapist and I couldn't find one. But the more I looked at it, the more interested in I got. So I studied it for two years. So I became a past life regression therapist. I still haven't found anybody to send me back to the medieval times when I may have been burnt as a witch. And then maybe I don't want to. But that, that's, you know, I just started to do all these other things that like were all different color balloons in my life, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the colour was back. And uh, I, I give talks, you know, I, I've been to the YMCA and little places like that. And I give talks on the sort of things that have happened to you and how you can come out of it. I never advise anybody because I'm not here to advise, but I can sort of tell my story and maybe, you know, your listeners might pick up on something, one of the books. And I run little workshops. I know I would never go back to teaching full time. I know that that part of my life is so very much over. You but know, the, the thing is, you, you are teaching. I mean, there's more than one way to teach, isn't there? You don't have to be in a classroom. In fact, I think we learn so much more outside the classroom now than we do in the classroom because I think we're still teaching children like we did in Victorian time. And I think the whole education system needs a big overhaul. And there, I know there is a movement for that. But yeah, that's off the subject a little bit. But yeah, your um, workshops that you're doing in your talks, that's teaching in itself. It is teaching yourself. Can I just come back to you because your educational point, because I so, so agree with you. And we really are. We're, we're, we're saturating the children with maths, English, science. Don't get me wrong. I would love to saturate everybody with English because I still love the subject. But, they, you know, a lot of the schools have stopped music, have stopped the arts, have stopped mm. dance, all these things. And can, I'll tell you a little story of, of what happened in one of the schools, one of the last schools I actually spent any length of time in. I started a supply there and I actually spent two years of supply there because I really enjoyed the school. It was in a you know very rough area of, of Birmingham. They possibly couldn't get anybody else to come in and, and work, <laughs> you know, because, you know, with... with when you're a supply teacher, you get the toughest timetable. But these are also the children that are so creative. Right. Bored children are yes. ultra creative. Yes. If you if you let them come up with something and let them run with it, my goodness, what they can produce. And this is where I think education is so constricted. We are teaching children to pass exams. 
We're not teaching them about life. We're not teaching them their social skills. We're not teaching them that what they say is valid, even if somebody else doesn't agree with it. We're not doing that. If it doesn't meet the format, we shouldn't be telling any pupil that they're wrong because invariably, in their eyes, they're right about whatever it is. But I started to do, I had um, a very difficult year nine group and year nine are always difficult because they don't quite know where they fit in the school Mm. strata. They're not in the GCSE, they're not lower key stage um, three. So it was, you know, we had to obviously do the the set programs with them. But because I'm I'm also a mindfulness teacher, I went to India to train for meditation, teaching. So I took myself off to do all sorts of things to create the whole me. Yeah. Um, And so I I can't help it. I will talk about all the things that I enjoy doing. I personally think I just love the sound of my own voice. And I was (laughs) clearly. I say that, you know what, I love the sound of my own voice. I'm going to just keep talking and talking and talking and something may have interest. But I started to talk to them about mindfulness, mindfulness eating, mindfulness viewing, all these sort of things. Mm. And I gave them a little little test. They had to do a creative writing piece. And and if there are any other teachers out there, they will back me up in this. Creative writing um, is quite difficult for for pupils, Mm. particularly when, you know, the, the, the... the subject matter in front of them, the picture in front of them that they're supposed to respond to is really quite boring. Yeah. Right. We're going to do some mindfulness now. As it involves sweets. Well, obviously, little ears pricked up, big <laughs> smiley faces, eyes bright. Yeah, miss, we're having sweets in class. Perfect. So I said, obviously, I prepared it um, for the following lesson. I said, now, when I come back in, you're going to have two sweets. The first, I said, you can't eat them until I say so. You have to follow instructions. Yeah, but chomping bits, they loved it. So with the first sweet I gave them, I said, you can eat it and you're going to eat it just the way you put it in your mouth, chew yeah. it, swallow it, a nice taste, gone. I said, now with the second sweet, you're going to take your time to eat it. I says, and as you're unwrapping it, you're going to be feeling the texture of paper. You're going to be listening to the sounds. Um, you're going to be thinking about how it feels to be actually holding this, this, this waxy paper that will slip through your hands and it might be gone any minute. And I said, then you're going to put it in your mouth and you're going to leave it in your mouth. You're not going to start chewing until I tell you. That was hysterical. I wish I'd have had cameras <laughs> to see their faces. I said, you are not going to start chewing until I say so. And I said, when you do start chewing, think of your five senses. So that's, that's what we, and they, they wrote, not a bad piece of creative writing when it came to it. But what more interestingly came out of it was they're interested in mindfulness. Mm. They're interested in them focusing, in using their five senses and doing something a little bit different. So I started doing on a Monday. They called it Mindful Mondays because then once I got an audience, it was the vision boards, it was this, it was affirmations, yeah. it was the negative hand, the positive hand, all of those sort of things. So they actually came up with Mindful Mondays. They said, can we do this on a Monday? So for about six weeks, we did Mindful Mondays and, you know, they'd started to do vision boards. And I was told to, it was taken away, told to stop. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a very, very similar story of a teacher who was doing more or less the same thing and said, no, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit better in the primary schools. But, you know, we, 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 the, the secondary schools, all the focus is learn, learn. And there's this strange and outmoded sort of ideal that if a child's enjoying themselves, they can't possibly be learning but in actual fact if you go you know if you look at children what do the psychologists say play children yeah. learn through them. and I think 
I think they take that, unfortunately, then through to their adult life. They forget how to play. They forget yeah. how to relax. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm always nurturing my inner child because I am ridiculously silly. You know, I can walk down the road with somebody and I'll push into them and try and knock them into a bush and things like that because that's the sort of so I never ever walk down, <laughs> down the lane with them. But, you I know, think I'll I like cross to... over when I see you coming then in case you get pushed into the bush. <laughs> You know, we, we lose it. We, we, we're squashing the ability yeah. to be the whole human being out of pupils in school. Yeah. And I'm sorry, that's a negative, but it's how I feel. I, well, I read a really shocking statistic the other day that said children smile on average 400 times a day. Adults smile, and this is a happy adult, on average smiles 40 times a day. That's a happy one. And most adults smile on average 20 times a day so 20 times a day versus 400 times a day where did we lose that in school incredible yeah incredible yeah. it's in school i mean you know we should be taking 400 smiles a day and part of the curriculum should be how many smiles are they smiling each day at the end of the term you know yeah. that, that should be in fact i think oh oh do you know what i think i could write um I could actually write a workshop on that. Hmm. <laughs> you're getting a lot of lessons from this, aren't you? <laughs> All the things you're going to do. <laughs> you you, you yeah. sort of brought up the subject of statistics. So can I just give you a... Yeah, I was going to come to that now. Yeah, yeah. go through those statistics you told me earlier because they're quite shocking. Yeah. Now, this, this was from my union last week. They did a survey and the survey was done over the last 12 months and we do have to take COVID into consideration. Yeah. But yeah. as there was not many children in school, and one of the statistics we can't take has been just uh, through COVID. So we have um, 8% of all teachers have been physically assaulted by pupils. Wow. That's a big percentage. And that's in 12 months. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is in, in a 12 month uh, academic year. Yeah. 35% experience verbal abuse on a daily basis. And that goes right. I can vote for that for the last sort of 10, 15 years. Wow. You are, there's always, always somebody you ask to sit down and they will swear at you. I've had chairs thrown at me and uh, all sorts of things. Mm. You, you just wouldn't believe what goes on in mm. school. In fact, there was a supply teacher who I think it's probably about five or six years ago now. Uh, she actually went undercover. You know, she she actually recorded. OK, she shouldn't have recorded because she didn't have, obviously, permission to record mm -hmm. and all the, you know, safeguarding that goes with that. But she did record because she wanted to show what schools were like. It was aired on a TV programme. That teacher has never worked again. Wow. But, and nobody's actually done anything with the information. No. Um, and this, to me, is equally as frightening as the 8%, if not more so, 55% of teachers who were assaulted did not feel that their school dealt with the abuse satisfactorily. Yes, and this is over half. Over half. And 94% of teachers now say they are teaching children who have mental health issues. So that's that's huge. That's absolutely That huge. is, yeah. And that just shows it's going to get worse as well, doesn't it? It's going it? to get worse because, you know, the, 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 the money isn't in there. I am going to get, I'm, I'm not political at all, but I, in terms of this, I really, from the depths of my educational heart and want to see children grow and prosper, 
academies are the worst thing that's happened to mm. education yeah for a long yeah time. i've heard that so yeah. maybe maybe this is your calling then maybe this is because i think everything we go through we go through for a reason there's always a reason so maybe this is the path that you're supposed to go down who knows only only you can know that um i mean it, it, it could well be because I, I i really don't have it in me now to stand in front of 30 children five times a day no trying to be enthusiastic about a subject that they feel is not relevant and in some instances the things we teach aren't relevant these days you know so the, the, like you said, there should be a complete and utter overhaul. Yeah. But as, well, as long as we've got people in, in education who only see results statistics and, oh, wow, 94% of this children in this school got A to B GCSEs. They might have only put two people in and, you know, mm. you still get your 90. So if the statistics and the way these figures are banded around are just utter yeah. rubbish yeah. they may as well yeah. throw up in the air and just see what comes down and mm. and this is what they're saying is what's going on in schools they're not allowing teachers to teach mm. full stop so if anybody's listened to this and they they want to get in touch or they want to know more how could somebody get in touch with you now i think the best way at the moment would be to my email if you if i can take sort of say that it would be nice just to sort of email people and maybe just get some of their views and help in any way that I can. I'm, I'm not a counsellor by any means, but I, I feel as though I have an awful lot of supportive experience that, you know, yes. just somebody who needs yeah. to talk. Yeah. So, yeah, so can I give I'll you put your I'll put your email address in the yeah. show notes, Sam. Yeah. And would you like to leave a message to listen? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so very much for sitting and, and listening to me. I am from Birmingham, so if the accent, you know, sorry. But singularly, there isn't anything that you can't overcome. And I think if you've had a traumatic experience, you have to get to the point where you think, okay, this is down to me. Take the help that you need, but ultimately it's you, it's your inner. Pray, speak to the universe, do affirmations, read any self-help book that you can, email me, whatever. And, I, you know, I can sort of give you a list. Oh, can I just tell you one other thing before we go? Yep. Sorry. And it's to do with books. And this is a book I call Barbara Shear. Now, it was, a, uh, I actually went to a medium once and she said to me, I always thought my dad didn't like me. You know, it's as simple as that. We, mm. You know, I thought my dad didn't like me. There was too many of us and I was stuck in the middle. But she said, your father has come through. And I was a little bit skeptic about that. And I said, oh, okay, then what, what's, what's dad saying? She said, he's, he's got the title of a book. My dad was an avid reader. And it was right. the one thing, God rest his soul, that he gave to us, all our family avid readers and it, she said it, it's a book called what to do when you want to do everything by Barbara Shear okay so I thought I wrote it down and off I went I couldn't get this book and I had a, a girlfriend of mine police officer she was going to do it she was from Jamaica and she kept zipping off to Jamaica and leaving behind and I said to her you keep doing this just let me come to Jamaica with you so we organized I went off with seven of her friends and we're sharing a room one night with one of these ladies and we were just talking and she said oh she's there's a book here she says, you can borrow it while you're here. It was the book. What to do with Roger Barbara Shear. Yeah, so I did that as well because I have this, I don't know whether it's an impatience. 
I don't know whether it's an exerted ego, but I want to do everything. You know, mm. I can't stick to one thing, if that makes sense. I know, I've had that. Yeah, I have had to learn to ground myself. Otherwise, you never finish anything because everything. you keep moving on to the next great thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so that's sort of that. That's it, really. That's me in a nutshell. And again, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sue, for giving me this opportunity. I really do appreciate it. Oh, bless you. Well, thank you so much. It's been so interesting talking to you. And I think there's an awful lot to learn there. And I think it it highlights what needs to be changed in the education system. Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. Right. right. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day. And God bless you. you all. Take care. Thank Bye you. Now. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to today's story. And as always, if you want to ensure you don't miss any future episodes, then please subscribe. And if you yourself have a story to tell, then please do get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. And until next week, take care of yourself, stay safe, and I will see you soon. Goodbye.